Starting a new series going through the book of James. James is the in your face, no holds barred apostle. He says, in essence, if you're going to be a Christian, why don't you be a real Christian? That's what James says. He says, if you're going to be a Christian, be a real Christian. James is about living out our faith in everyday situations with everyday people and doing it victoriously, showing us that faith was more than action on. More action on Monday through Saturday than worship on Sunday. I know a lot of people that can have faith on Sunday, but they can't have it Monday through Saturday. James says, I'm more concerned about your faith Monday through Saturday than I am on Sunday. It's a very practical book about growing up. As a matter of fact, James's epistle is called the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. Does anybody know that how many Proverbs there are? 31. One for each day of the month. James gives the same type of practical teaching that Proverbs does. For example, James covers the same topics, and he's very instructive. James, tell, James tells us how to handle trials. How many needs help with that? How many does good? You just you go through trials, and you're like, man, I'm good at trials. I, not me. I kind of throw a little fit. Why, God? Why me? James tackles discrimination in the church and tells God's people to stop honoring the wrong folks. That's what James says. He says, stop honoring the wrong people. James also warns believers to watch their tongues and to quit living by earthly wisdom. He urges God's people to quit fighting and fussing with each other. Hey, that's what he says. James says that if God's people get right with God, they will have his power at their disposal. But if we aren't using our faith to produce the power of God, then our faith is dead and useless because our faith has no works. I want to operate by faith. I want to function in faith. I want to lay hands on the sick. That's what the Bible says. If there's a, somebody sick among you, call them to the front. Call the elders. Get, get, get the oil. The oil. And look, we get creative with oil. We'll do a cross on your head, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do, because it's really not about the oil, it's about expression of faith. Come on, somebody. I don't want to go to an oilless church. I want to go to a church that is full of oil and power. That's where I want to go. I want to go to a church. I don't want to go to a church that's just got creative lights, good sound, a beautiful sanctuary. I want to go to a church that if I've got a need, I know somebody's got a depth of anointing in their life that they can pray with me and that's not in the book of James. So. But he talks about that. He talks about activating your faith. He talks about faith with works. We, we know that it's God's power, but when we activate that, when we tell God we're vessels, we want you to flow through us and, and use us. So let's dive into it. James 1 and 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Please notice the author of the book identifies himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of the four men named James in the New Testament, only two are candidates, candidates 
for authorship of the epistle. No one has seriously considered James the Less or the son of Alphaeus or James the father of Judas, not Iscariot. Some have suggested James the son of Zebedee and, and brother of John, but he was martyred too early to have written it. So that leaves only James. You got to get this. The oldest half-brother of Christ and brother of Jude. So the James that, that we're reading, writing these words, is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting. James had first rejected Jesus as Messiah, according to John 7 and 5. He rejected his own brother. And I know what you're thinking. James, how could you do that? Don't judge him too early. Because how complicated would it be for you to convince your siblings that you are God? <laughs> James, how could you not believe? Go to your siblings and say, hey, I'm God. Straight to the mental institution. So don't hate on James, because later he became a believer, 1 Corinthians 15 and 7. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. You see, though, he didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry. When he witnessed the resurrection, James uh, believed. And here we are in 2024, and our hope is still that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave. Jesus Christ died a, a, a physical death. He vacated an actual grave, and he ascended into heaven where he is at this moment reigning as king. That's our hope today. We're in the same boat that James is. When we understand that Jesus got up, that's our hope. Because if he got up, that means he left us power to get up. That's Bible. The same power that got him up wants to dwell in your life so that you can get up. Definition of a righteous man is one that falls down seven times, but they get right back up. When you feel with the Holy Spirit, you can't stay down. You're going to get up because Jesus got up. So James, after the resurrection, said, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Just like us, we've, we've, we've been resurrected. We've, been, we've died on an altar, been baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's been a resurrection in our life, and now we have power. James believed. And became the key leader in the Jerusalem church, being called one of the pillars of the church, along with Simon, Peter, and John. He was also called James the Just to distinguish him from many other men who bore his same name. James the Just. He was so righteous, they called him James the Just. He went from not being a believer, seeing Jesus resurrected, becoming a believer, and now he's James the Just. And according to a second century Christian writer... James also had the knees of a camel. I know you're thinking, well, Pastor, that's a, random, that's a random fact. Well, do you know why he had the knees of a camel? Because he, his frequent prayers resulted in calluses on his knees. He knelt and prayed so much that he had calluses on his knees. Yet he didn't begin his letter by saying, James, the half-brother of the Lord. If I'm writing the book of James, that's what I'm starting with. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Or, at least, I'm going to say this is, this is James, a key leader in Jerusalem. Pastor of the River Church. No, he didn't say this is James the just or James the prayer warrior. No, he started off by saying James, a servant of the Lord. 
The only claim this great man made was one of ownership by God in Christ. Like all believers, he was bought with a price, and he humbly acknowledges that he is not his own. James says, I am everything I am because Jesus Christ found me and gave me an opportunity to serve. And by taking the title servant, James takes his place with those honored, not for who they were, but for whom they served. I don't want to be known for who I am. I want to be known for whom I serve. And because he understood who he was, he could effectively minister to other people and help them understand who they are. I'm telling you, there are so many people that are so title-driven that they can't effectively minister to people who are struggling. You got to go back into your mind when, when you were struggling. And me too, I got to go back. Josh, you, I still struggle. Pray for you, pastor. I don't know if you struggle, but pray for me. It's a good place to start. But when you understand that, no, I'm just honored to serve. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be used by God. I don't deserve to be a witness. I don't deserve to claim the sanctuary. I don't deserve to pray for somebody. I'm just a servant of the one who found me, redeemed me, restored me, and saved me. And because he understood who he was, he could effectively minister. The only way, I want you to write this down. Please write this down. Please write this down because this is, this is sweeping into the church, especially the apostolic church. People want to be, they want to have a title so bad that they'll do anything for it. And the only way to break entitlement is to understand we are a servant. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we must serve. We must serve. If you want, I'm walking, walking on some thin ice, so I'm, I'm trying to make sure my words when you got no caffeine, you got to just make sure your words are right before they come out your mouth. Look, I wish I would go back to the days where they didn't have live stream. That had to have been the easiest days to preach. Like if it was a bad message, nobody's ever going to know. Because nobody in the congregation is going to go out in the community and say, boy, that preacher did bad on Sunday. But now, no, you could just say if they say, how was the message? You don't have to lie. Go watch it for yourself. It's on, it's on the app and the website. But you know why we're trying to build a culture of serving here? Because we understand that if you get people to buy in and serve the kingdom and to serve the less fortunate and the hurting, that they will be more happy than they are if they sit down and they're a spectator and they're complaining about everything that's not right and not... You, you, do, you do it every Sunday watching football. Well, that coach, that's the worst coach there's ever been. Why in the world is he doing that? He's making millions of dollars, and I'm not. He's doing something right. But it's easy. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and complain. But when you get in the game, and you're in the moment, and you understand everything going on, and you start pouring out and serving, it makes a difference in your attitude, in your outlook, what you value. We want to build a culture where everyone has a table and a towel. The table represents fellowship, relationship, teaching, and accountability, serving with each other, being a team, having a lifeline. Don't lo if, if you're not close enough to anybody for them to know your secrets, you're in danger. Oh, it got quiet. If you're not close enough to anybody to know, for them to know that you're struggling and you need a lifeline, you're in danger. 
I've got to have a table where I'm connected to people that I know are not going to judge me. They're going to throw a lifeline out to help me. Life is not meant to be done alone. I've got to have people that I can trust. So I, got to, so I want to have a table. I want to have people. I want to have mighty men in my life. There are men that I call mighty men because I need them. I need their investment. I need them to cover me and pray for me. We've got to have people and not just not just the same people. Get connected with new people every once in a while. Now, don't go tell everybody your business. That's not what I'm saying. There's some people, they don't need to know your business. Because if they know your business, everybody else is going to need you to know your business. Or will know your business. So be cautious with that. But notice, James starts by greeting the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's another way of say, saying to my fellow believers, life groups, connect groups, teams, a table, etc., etc., the towel represents a servant's heart. The oil is multiplied in the outpouring. I was meeting in my office with, with a great man of God before I came out here, and I, I just I reiterated that to him. I said, there needs to be oil in your life that you're not. People that have little oil in their life, they're stingy with their oil. You, you know what I'm saying? They barely, they, they barely got enough to get them by, so they're not giving any oil to anybody else to get them by. <laughs> So they're selfish with it. Oh, man, I, got, I can't give them this oil because I need to get by. We need to live in a way that we understand the oil is multiplied in the outpouring. The more you keep, the more miserable you're going to be. The more you give, the more full. Man, I'm helping somebody right now. The more you serve and pour out and love and help. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 11 through 12. But he... That is greatest among you shall be your servant. There it is. Let's stay in altar call. I'm just playing. There it is right there. <laughs> Jesus flips it. He says, if, if you want to be great in the kingdom, learn how to serve. Jesus, get off my toes right now. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, learn how to serve. Watch what verse 12 says. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. We have an obligation to serve the church, the kingdom, our families, and our communities. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time we served someone who couldn't do anything for us in return? When? That's my prayer tonight. Give us a heart to serve the cause of Christ every day of our life. I'm not just talking about serving here. I'm talking about when we go to work, we're a servant of the Lord. When we go home, we're a servant of the Lord. When we go in our community, we're a servant of the Lord. Everywhere we go, we're a servant. How can I serve? How can I serve? Francis of Assisi had to work on that all day. Once invited an apprentice to go preach with him at a nearby village. And the young, the young monk quickly agreed seizing an opportunity to hear his teacher speak. When they arrived in the village, Francis began to visit with the people. First, he stopped to speak to the butcher. Next, he went down and he spoke to the cobbler. Then a short walk to the home of a woman who had recently buried her husband. After that, a stop at the school to chat with the teacher. This continued throughout the morning. After some time, Francis told his disciple that, hey, it's time to go back. It's time to return. And the student didn't understand. He said, we came to preach. You brought me with you to preach. And we haven't preached at all. We haven't preached one sermon. And he looked, he looked at the elder. He said, have we? Wrong thing to say to the elder. This is what he said. People have watched us 
listened to us and responded to us. And every word we have spoken and every deed we have done has been a sermon. And you didn't even realize it, but we've been preaching all morning. I don't need a platform. I don't need a microphone. I don't need a title. I am a servant of the Lord. Our lifestyle needs to resemble our confession. Faith without works is dead. So works mark the life of a Christian. Today it happened to me. I'm studying. I've got this. If you can imagine, I'm in the gym. I'm dehydrated because I've had no caffeine. Dehydrated. And I'm on this elliptical. And I've got this iPad in front of me. And I'm, I'm running and I'm reading. And I'm thinking and I'm praying. And God, what do you want me to say? Y'all, all of a sudden, I feel a hand go in my pocket of my windsuit pants. <laughs> and I didn't know what to make of it at first. You know, I'm trying to process, God, what is going on right now? Like, what, what is happening? Then I got mad. And I was like, well, I'm about to have to look and see who this is. And, you know, put your hand in my pocket. <laughs> and I looked over there, and there was this, this, this older man. I'm not going to call him elderly. And he was smiling. And he said, your church fed me one time when I was hungry. And I always said, if I ever seen you run into you, I was going to pay you back. He put a $20 bill in my pocket. Come on, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You don't know. When you feeding somebody and helping somebody, you are showing them the works of Jesus Christ. James also placed Christ on the same plane as the God of the Old Testament. Now, you, you need to write this down because this is important. This is a power con- powerful confession for one with whom he shared a home in Nazareth and boyhood memories of playing in the Galilean hills. Yet James confesses that his brother is now the Lord. If anything proves the divinity of Jesus, it's the fact that his brother says Jesus is God. If there's anything, if you... If there's anything that proves the divinity of Jesus, his half-brother said, Jesus is God. James would later write this in, second, in the, the second chapter, verse 19. Boy, about to preach up in here. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. And I'm going to stop. Keep that up there, please. The, this is key because central Jewish faith, central to the Jewish faith, is the radical monotheism that the Hebrew Hebrew scriptures repeatedly declare. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The word one is translated from from a Greek word and simply means one. There is no compound idea here. He is a reference to the God who is single and only one. But watch what it says. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. That's great. How many believes that there is one God? Anybody in the house believes that there is one God? That's great. I know a lot of people that will fight about the oneness of God, but they're not trying to live holy, right, or sanctified. <laughs> I know somebody, that I, I, listen, I know people right now, they will fight you over the oneness of God. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. They're still bound. They haven't given anything to God. They haven't surrendered. But watch what it says. This is what we got to get. The devil also believes in what? And he trembles. Their faith 
in one God causes an action even in the devils. Their belief in the power of one God causes them to respond in reverence like we can't mess with this God. We can't do anything about him. He's all powerful. And they begin to uh, tremble. To suggest it is possible to hold a genuine belief and not to demonstrate it in some way is absurd. To say we believe in this all-powerful one God the name of Jesus Christ, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given unto men, whereby we must be saved. To say we believe in this all-saving name, all power in heaven and earth is in the name of Jesus, but not act on it? This pretends a radical division of the intellect from the will. And the original Jewish readers would get nowhere with this pretense. The Hebrew doctrine of humanity held that man is a unified being. Stay with me. The greatest commandment of all sees a person as expressing his love, not only with his heart and soul, but also with his strength. Thus, love is not merely a matter of what one thinks, but love is about what one does. You can't think you love God and that be enough. You've got to love him with all your strength. Faith without works is dead. We can say, oh, he's one God. We can say one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. But what is that leading to in our life? Do we have reverence for that? Is there power in that? The main issue that James is addressing is this. No matter where we find ourselves, there should never be a difference between our beliefs and our actions. No matter. Our belief in Jesus and his calling is important to how we act. Therefore, we should stop compromising with worldly values and behavior and give ourselves wholly to the Lord because he is king and he's in complete control. But this is what you got, Josh. You got people that want a hero, but they don't want a king. They want to be rescued, but they don't want to be governed. They want his love, but they don't want his commandments. I'm preaching to somebody right now. But we've got to get to a place to where we say, God, we love you so much. We love that name that's powerful so much. We love your word so much because where the word of a king is, there is power. And we're submitted to that with our actions. These are themes that are going to come on, come out again and again in the book of James. Then James dives right into it. And I would say 90% of us aren't responding the way the next verse tells us to respond. James 1 and 2. <laughs> I know I don't. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. James, what are you talking about? Literally, I wish I could have a conversation with him. James, when I'm struggling, count it all joy? Really? No, I want to kick and scream and gripe and talk about how bad it is. And I've learned that, that Greek is very different. It's a very different language than English. And it can be a little awkward to translate a verse literally. But watch this. James 1 and 2 in the Greek literally says, go before all things with joy. Before you get there and go through it, go to it with joy. No matter the suffering, the trials, the persecution, go before all things with joy because you know it's only for a while. If we go through a season of struggle, it's only for a little while. Whatever that is. A while, a little while, hopefully not a long while, and I'm going to help you with that in just a minute. Please note this, though. 
You got to note this. Some of you are going to say, the Lord has been tempting me to evil. No, 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 no. The Lord's never going to tempt you to sin. The temptations were, were tests of their faith, not enticements to sin. James is saying he's trying to test your faith. And we will deal with this later on in the series, but God does not tempt us to sin, but will allow trials into our lives, a testing of our faith. A trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that he may grow us. That's difficult right there. I was studying that today, and I said, God, I don't even want to read that. He said, read it again. I said, no. He said, read it again. I said, yes, sir. A trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that he may grow us. So we don't have joy because of the pain. I don't, I don't, I'm not joyful because I'm struggling right now. We have joy because of the purpose coming after the pain. We're going through this for a reason because God is getting ready to take us to a different level and grow us. There is an after this moment, and that's why I approach it with joy. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it. God's got me. He's working it together. He's just growing my faith. Difficulties and trials are not the defining moment of our lives. The defining moment is our response to difficulties and trials. You see, God sees value in the testing. And we do the same thing with our children. We see the value in the testing. My kids, my daughter's graduating this year. My son's in seventh grade. And they still question me every day, Dad, can we miss school tomorrow? No. No, you can't miss school tomorrow. You got to get up and you got to go get an education. And if I let you miss every day that you want to miss, you're never going to grow and go to the next grade. Bradley, you're going to be 21 in the seventh grade. You got to go to school. They questioned me. I said, no, go to bed. You're going to get up. You're going to get dressed. You're going to put a smile on your face. You're going to get out of carpool. You're going to put your little backpack on your shoulder, and you're going to go to school because I want you one day to get out of my house and be able to pay your own bills. <laughs> it, it, was around, it was around two years ago. I got to hurry up. It was around two years ago. My wife sat me down. She said, babe, listen to me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, my God, what have I done? complete examination of my life God what have I done did I, did I tell her she gained weight like God what, what? <laughs> did I did I raise my voice like what what did I I know I haven't done any of that I, I know better than that I've been married over 20 years for a reason I know better she says she says babe listen we got to talk I said all right she says we shelter our kids too much it's time to shake the nest and push them out I was like, babe, they can't move out right now. They can't. They gotta. Bradley's not even driving yet. Like, he can't, we can't kick him out right now. She's like, no, 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 I'm being serious. She's like, London's getting a job. There's going to be chores every day that they got to get home and do. Bradley's going to do more. He's not going to sit in there and play that game. He's going to go outside and practice. He's going he's gonna to do his homework. It's time. I said, babe, I, I'm with you. But can I be real? It kind of hurt my heart a little bit. Because I want a baby and protect them kids as long as I can. You know what I'm talking about. 17, they still sleeping in your room on the floor with a mattress. <laughs> I want a baby and protect them. But I understood what she was saying. What she was saying was if we don't challenge them, they're never going to grow. And they're always going to, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to throw the same fits. Bradley's going to be eating Hot Pockets till he's 35 years old. 
London going to get married. They're going to eat Hot Pockets for the rest of their marriage. She said, we got to test them. We got to test them. Listen to me. God wants us to be holy more than he wants us to be happy. God wants us to be productive more than he wants us to be comfortable. Proverbs 17 and 3. The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tried the heart. When those elements melt, the impurities rise to the top, and they would scrape those impurities off. And now what you would have is pure silver or pure gold. God will allow us to go through some things and test us in order for the impurities to rise to the top so that he can get it out of our life, so that he can do what he wants to do through us. 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised. <laughs> Why is that scripture there? I'm never not surprised. Never. I, I've never went into a trial and said, man, I've seen that coming from a long way off. Three days ago, I knew I'm about to go through a trial right now just like this. No, but he says, beloved, be not, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I'm always wondering, God, how did I get here? Anybody ever went through something and you're like, how, how did we get here? Why are we even here? God, where are you? Nobody's ever prayed that? God, get over here right now. I've been praying for two days. I haven't felt you at all. Where are you at? I need a little advice right now. God, look, if you've never thrown, like I said, pray for your pastor. If you've never thrown this out there, please forgive me. God, how could you have allowed this to happen? I've been there. Because when you're going through testing and trials, you don't know what to do. You're trying to figure it out. But this is what James is saying. Watch this. If we're going to pass the test and we're going to get through trials and we're going to get through these things, you know what we have to do? We've got to recognize what's really going on. That's number one. You could write that down. If you're going to get through the trial with joy and you're going to come out of it with peace, you've got to recognize what's going on. Don't let the trial distract you from the learning experience. There's a lesson in the test. God is trying to grow you in a certain area of your life. I know because there was a season that God was growing my wife in patience. She wasn't praying for patience, but God was growing her. She needed it. I knew she needed it. Yeah, she's looking at her phone right now like, I'm going to get him. But she, she did, and she would tell me because... Random things would happen. We would go to a restaurant, and anytime I went to a restaurant without her, I got service like good service, quick. Food come out, check come out. I go with her. We sit at the table for 30 minutes. Nobody even showed up yet. You know, pull up at a gas station to get gas, get out, and then you realize that, that there's yellow caution tape around the gas pump that says, nah, it's not working. You pull over to the next one, and she's like, she said, babe, it's me. It's me. God's teaching me patience. I said, well, I wish you would hurry up and learn because I am tired of driving around gas stations and I'm tired. All you got to do is say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. I remember Luke. I don't know. Is Luke here tonight? Me and Luke was playing basketball. Man, I, I got to get through this lesson. That's what I got to do. Me and Luke was playing basketball and, and he was just... He was getting connected. God was doing great things in his life. And he never asked me about, about praying for patience. And man, he showed up one day, 
and he looked miserable. I was like, man, this poor fella, something done happened to him. He said, bro, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. I said, well, Luke, let, let's talk about this. What happened different? He said, man, I've been praying and I've been asking God to give me patience. I said, bro, stop it right now. Stop it. You're about to lose everything. You better stop it right now. <laughs> you better quit it. You better call a timeout, Luke. We don't pray for patience. We practice patience. If you've been praying for patience, stop. Right now. Stop right now. James 1, 2 through 3. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, what? Worketh patience. James 1, 2 through 3, I'm going to read it DSV as well. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. Write this down. Every trial is trying to create this character trait in us. Patient endurance. Every trial is trying to get us to wait and trust in the Lord. Because they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And some of us are trying to run from the very school of character that God is giving as a gift to us to grow us for the next season of our lives. And look, I'm going to be honest. Family is the best school of character you'll ever have. If you learn how to get along with your family, you'll be able to get along with anybody. I'm convinced of that right now. Somebody shout amen in the house. If you can control your temper and not yell, scream, and kick the dog and disown your family and write them off, you're ready for whatever God's got in store for you. Yeah, don't kick the dog, please. Don't kick the dog. I've only done it once. I am never doing it again, I promise you. Character is to be learned in what we're praying for God to get us out of. God, get us out of it instead of saying, God, help us to learn. God can't get us out of it until we develop. I read this story. A man watched a butterfly one time trying to emerge from a cocoon. And he saw this beautiful butterfly trying to break out. And this man said, you know what, I'm going to help out. So he took a razor-sharp knife and he cut the side of that silk cocoon to help the butterfly out. And the butterfly just flopped out. And when it did, it, it laid there for a while and feebly beat its wings a couple of times, then fell to the ground. It collapsed and died. You see, because God had a plan for that butterfly in that cocoon. And it was meant to grow against that cocoon and to swell against it and to push and to push and to push until those muscles were developed so it could fly. And so many times we're saying, oh, God, let me out. When God is saying, you're not going to be able to fly if I let you out right now. You're not going to make it to what I've got next for you. If I let you, I got to keep you in it a little bit longer. But go ahead and count it joy. When you come out of it. You're going to be stronger and wiser, and your faith is going to be increased. Testing leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to maturity. Maturity means that you do not lack. Not lack what? We will not lack having a life which completely reflects our trust in God. It's all about what you value. And when I value Him, then I value, I value the right thing in my life. If we value comfort more than character, trials will upset us. If we get mad at every trial that shows up in our life, then we need to check our character. 
If we value the material more than the spiritual, we won't be able to count it all joy if we lose our truck or our house or our bass boat or our four-wheeler. If we value only the present and not the future, trials will make us bitter and not better. And here's the options. When you're going through a trial, grow or don't grow. Like that grammar right there? (laughs) There it is. We can either grow or we can make excuses. I've heard people say this. I'm struggling with anger because my parents struggle with anger. They didn't raise me in the right way or give me all that I needed, so I can't help it. Of course I'm going to get angry when I go through a trial. I've I've heard people say this. Well, I've been born with a melancholy character. Everyone knows that a melancholy character is going to create a person who is prone to depression and bouts of self-doubt. If I was more outgoing, then I would just... Everything would be better in my life. God knew exactly the personality you needed when he placed you on this earth. God knew exactly what you needed. It may not have been fair. You may not have feel you had the best parents or the best situation. Either you can complain about it or you can say, God, I'm going to grow. He allowed it because he trusts that you're going to eventually say, okay, God, well, how do you want me to grow? What do you want to do through this in my life? God wants us to grow, and we just need to cooperate with his growth process. Write that down. Once you write that down, we can't miss the purpose of the trial, and we have to cooperate with his growth process because he's doing what he's doing for a reason, and he's going to do it whether we like it or not because he's a good God, and he loves us enough to not just bless us without growing us, to get us out of the bed And make us go to school. Which leads me to this. James 1 and 4. But let patience, steadfastness, perseverance have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing mature and complete. Someone defined patience as accepting a difficult situation from God. Without giving him a deadline to remove it. And some of us have been praying, God I want everything you have for me. And God's like, "All right, you want everything. How many's prayed that? Anybody prayed that? Did you ever think that when you pray, God, I want everything you have for me, that's going to come with some trials? God, I want everything you have for me. And then God says, okay, here's some trials because I have to grow you. And then we're praying, God, get me out of it. Get me out of it. And God's like, hold on, I'm confused. Do you, do you want everything I have for you? Look, if you want to be a leader, a trial of offense will show up. Because God wants to know, can you handle this offense? Can you still pray and be faithful and love people even though somebody offended you and let you down? You want to be blessed? Here's some financial struggles. Can you still remain faithful in your finances even though? Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your ability to cope in the present is tied to your understanding of what God's going to do in the future. What you're going through. Let me prophesy to somebody and get off my notes for a second. What you've been going through, what you are going through, or what you're going to go through. 
Don't get so much caught up in the moment. Just know that God is bringing you somewhere and he's working and doing something in your life. And I'm going to cooperate and I'm going to rejoice because God is growing something in my life. I look back and some of the darkest season of my, seasons of my life was some of the greatest growing seasons of my life. Now, I don't want to go back through them. I don't. The first few years of pastoring was terrible. It was. I didn't know what to do. I was lost. Brother Spikes went to glory. He left me here. Thank you. <laughs> left me here. He said, man, I'm going to go on. And I said, no. And I took it. And it was some of the darkest years of my life that I had to understand. How do you get through this? And, and I learned some things. I learned how to lead on empty. I learned how to navigate discouragement and depression. If you come to me and you say I'm depressed, you know what I'm going to tell you? You have no excuse not to get through it. Because God took me through trial of depression for me to tell people you might be going through it, but you can get through it. And when you come out, you're going to understand how to tell other people to get through it. When my son had seizures, he taught me how to stand and fight. And he forced a lifestyle of daily pushing back in the spirit every day. I stand and fight. The pandemic. You may say, preacher, how was the pandemic something great that happened in your life? Here it is. The pandemic pulled me away from everything. And it set me in a place to where God began to impress on my heart. You're not going to be a little river. It's going to be the river. And there's going to be a wave of revival that's going to shake this community. And I'm going to send them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And God said, go ahead and prepare. Because there's a miracle in the add-on. So I've learned this, 1 Kings 8 and 12. Brother Will, you can come. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. And there's been season of my, seasons of my life where it's been such a dark trial. But I've learned God's right there with me in the middle of the darkest seasons of my life. Isaiah 45 and 3. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Did you catch that? Where is the treasures? Where's the treasures? It's in the darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the, am the God of Israel. To anybody in this room who has ever been or is in the middle of a dark place, don't be so overwhelmed by the darkness that you forget about the treasure in the middle of the darkness. There's treasure in that place for you. We need to understand that we will not have oil if the olive is never crushed. There will never be new wine if the grape isn't crushed. And there, there will never be treasure in our life if we can't withstand the darkness of the trials. God is going to bring you treasure if you hold on and say, God, I'm ready to learn. Which leads me to this, and I'll close with this, James 1 and 5. If any of you lack wisdom, what do we do? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. The person struggling with impatience should not pray for patience, but should pray for the wisdom of God how to endure this season of their life. Ask God. If we're going to get through it, we've got to ask God for help. And it astonishes me how long it takes for us to go to God about what we're going through. It astonishes me, myself, and I. James said, if you're going through a trial and you need wisdom, turn to God. 
because I believe, this is what I believe, and I said that I was going to share, share this with you. I believe that we can decide how long the trial lasts. I believe it. I believe that we can decide if we go into prayer and say, God, I want to learn. Teach me what areas of my life do I need to work on. Be sensitive to the impressing of the Holy Spirit. I believe we can determine how long a season lasts. I believe that. Maybe not every season, but a lot of the seasons. The quicker we go to him and learn to develop, the sooner we can get through. When a potter bakes a pot, you know what he does to check its solidity? He pulls it out of the oven and he thumps it. And if it sings, it's ready. If it thuds, it's got to be placed back into the oven. And when you go through a trial, he's going to thump you to see, can they sing yet or are they still thudding? God, I want to sing. Come on, I want to walk out of prayer with a different confidence saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. But I, you know what I'm talking about where you go and you're like, God, I don't know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, God begins to impress on you. I got you. Everything's going to be all right. I'm telling you, I walk out of those prayer meetings and I can't explain it. Like I can go alligator hunting with my bare hands. Where are they at? I'll scoop them up right now. You know what I'm talking about. It's the confidence that God says, I'm sovereign. I'm all power. And I got you. I said that was the last point, but I got to close with this because Brother Will's got to pick it up next week. James 1, 6 through 7. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Faith does not deny reality. Faith is just an attitude that says, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm with you to the end. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I'm not going to waver. I'm not just going to be disappointed. I'm not just going to be let down. God, I believe that you're doing something in my life. And then James drops a revelation bomb. James 1 and 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his I can't go two directions at one time. I can't be double-minded. This, this isn't popular preaching, but I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and say it. Stability is a characteristic of growth. If I'm growing, then I become stable. That's what Psalm 1 and 3 says. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall what? prosper if I'll get planted and say God I don't know what you're doing but I'm planted it may be one year maybe five years it may be one month it may be ten years it may be one week it may be one day but you better believe God I'm not leaving I'm going to allow you to develop I'm here I'm planted I'm going to produce fruit I'm going to do the right thing let's stand how many ever heard that story about about that old farmer when his his donkey fell in that well that old dried up well and that farmer looked down in the bottom of that well he said man that's an old donkey anyway I don't know how how it would even get get it out so he went and called all the neighbors to bring their shovels and he said we're just going to bury him that's all we can do Everybody get your shovel, and I want you to get a little bit of dirt, and I want you to throw it in this well. We're just going to bury him. He's done. It's over. I'm not pulling him out. And at first, the donkey realized what was happening, and he cried. Then to everyone's amazement, he quieted down. And a few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down the well and was astonished at what he saw. When a shovel of dirt hit his back, 
that donkey would shake it off and take a step up. And as the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would continue to shake it off and take a step up. Pretty soon, the donkey was able to step over the edge of the well, and he trotted it off. When you are going through it, you can look up and cry, why me? And you can be buried if you want to. Or you can take hold of the hand of God and say, God, I don't know what's happening, but you're going to get me through it. God, I don't know what's going on, but i got to shake it off one more time. I'm going to get over it. God, you're not done yet. You're working, God. You're going to renew my strength. I'm not done. You heard about that, that wounded goose? That Well, I'm off on all kinds of stories. It got wounded while I was flying, and it fell down in a, in a farm and lived with chickens. Man, the chickens become that, that goose's best friend. He learned how to act like them, walk like them, and talk like them. And one day, he looked up, and he saw some geese flying over. And he thought, he said, you know what? I think that's what I am. I don't think I'm a chicken. I think I need to be flying. So he spread his wings. And he got a little bit off the ground. And he looked back down and he said, am I really a goose or am I a chicken? And he put his wings down and he went right back to being with the chickens. He never flew again to the height that he was meant to fly. And there are some of us that have settled for lower than what God wants us to have. And I've come to tell you, you're not meant to be a chicken. You're not meant to stay grounded. You're meant to be an eagle. You're meant to soar above whatever. An eagle can fly against the storm and the wind of life. But you got to be willing to say, God, whatever you're doing, I'm available. God, let, let me learn. Teach me, God. And I'm not going to be double-minded. If you will, lift your hands all over this place. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise, God. God, thank you for giving us direction today. God, I don't, I don't want trials, but I understand they're part of life. But James tells us how to embrace them and how to grow through them. God, I don't know what everybody's going through, but I know whatever they're going through, you want them to know that you got them and that you're working for them. And they've got to continue to pray. They've got to continue to ask you, God, what are you trying to teach me? I want to learn. I want to pass the test. I want to go to the next level. And God, let me, let me just tell somebody in this place as I'm praying this prayer that you're not done with them yet and the enemy wants them to think they're buried but they're not buried. They're going to leave here today understanding that they're getting ready to step out of the pit that they've been in. God, there is something more for their life. If you believe that, why don't you tell him, God, I'm ready to be whatever you want me to be. Where you at, Brother Ray? Raise your hand. I ain't going to make you come up here. He went to the doctor yesterday. He did all his blood work. It was perfect. All his scans were good. Watch this. The doctor, the doctor looked at him, and Brother Ray said, I shouldn't be here today, should I? The doctor said, no. Brother Ray said, but God's got a plan. And he went on. He had to go. He had to go to, uh, to get a little treatment done. And when he went, he, before he went, he said, God, I'm, I want you to put this, this certain nurse. I want to have this certain male nurse today because Ray said he just he does a great job. And, and sure enough, he got there, and guess what happened? He said he, he, he never hardly gets this, this nurse. And the man walked in and said, hey, 
hey, Ray, how are you? And then he told him, he said, man, do you know a good church around here that me and my wife can go to? Look, I, I don't, I'm not God. I don't know why, Brother Ray. It's broke my heart that he's had to go through what he had to go through. But if he can reach one person. Come on, God's doing something. God's not through. You got to hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't waver. I'm planted like a tree. We're going to-